We're back. Empires of the Future. Talking about, well, teen suicide today. Yeah, it's kind of a heavy topic a little bit today. Um, but you know what? It's one of those things. You sent me this article, and, and you know, when you get sent an article on, on um, suicide, it's unfortunate that, you know, our reaction today is not, oh, my goodness, suicide is on the rise. We kind of hear that and we already go, yeah, suicide is on the rise, you know, and um, it's a really sad thing to think about and talk about. Um, but it is something that I think as Christians we ought to be discussing, we ought to be talking about. It's somewhat of a temptation to uh, think about or, or hear about suicide and want to just kind of put our head in the sand and and be blissfully kind of separated from that as much as possible. But uh, uh, it is a reality, and so it's one that we're going to talk about a little bit today on the podcast. Right. And, um, you know, I think that Christianity is helpful in, in a lot of ways, and strangely, in, in this way in particular, um, the, the kind of heart category you're talking about in terms of suicide is despair, mm-hmm. a complete lack of hope. The, the idea that um, there are plenty of people around us who, when they think about the future— they don't like anything that occurs to them about what might happen, and then therefore you, your mind begins to go down these paths of thinking about suicide. That's what, that's what the state uh, of of mind is of somebody who might consider suicide. They don't they don't think anything can improve, mm-hmm. and uh, unfortunately, I know having especially having started to read the Bible that at first the categories uh, don't make sense to you. We who have grown up around psychological categories, or I mean pop culture sorts of categories, um, but we have to be versed in sort of base level um, human uh, human heart level uh, kind of realities, because those are the, be- the realities that the Bible speaks to, mm-hmm. and increasingly uh, wh- what is happening is we're running into them. So, so for instance, we sort of expect that people would naturally have hope, and what we're seeing is they don't, right. and, and that, that is sad. Um, but what's strange about it is that uh, a lot of people seem surprised about it, and um, and so we got a lot to deal with in this. This is uh, this is it's a pretty long article. This is uh, titled uh, "No Teen Suicide Isn't Rising Because Life Got Objectively Worse." Mm-hmm. And this is by Eric Levitz for New York Magazine uh, dot com, and it's a response to. Uh, a Washington Post article yeah. uh, by Taylor Lorenz that basically said, well, look, uh, life's really bad right now. That's why suicide's increasing. And, and so he's taking the opposite tack. And so uh, we will bounce between these two ideas, but I, I think we want to go somewhere different entirely uh, because we do believe life is worth living, um, but that neither necessarily, I, I would not say I agree 100% with sort of the conclusions th- that either uh, of these comes to, but it's certainly a helpful kind of springboard to talk about this. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, it does help give a picture for what he's doing and writing. And uh, you understand, when you understand that, how he's writing in response to Taylor <clears throat> Lorenz and what she kind of suggest, suggested, as you said, her, her article was written suggesting like, if you look at the world around us, and she names a few things uh, that are kind of happening in our society, because it's specifically dealing with here in the United States, I think. Um, she says, well, yeah, no wonder despair is up. Um, look how, look how, bad things are and points to a couple different sort of markers that, that, uh, that she uses to identify here's how bad things are. And this is why, um, 
people, especially teenagers, which is what the subject is dealing with, uh, which is why teen suicide is so high. And she's doing that. She's writing in response to other accusations and, and, and right. indeed other studies that have been done an attempt to demonstrate uh, the reason suicide is up is because of things like social media and phone usage right. and right. these different media platforms. Uh, as usage of those rises, teen suicide rises. Right. And there are legitimate studies yeah. that, are, that are demonstrating that. Um, and, but she is kind of posing the ar- other argument or the other side saying, no, it's not because of phones. It's because of how bad the world is, right? right. And um, now Eric Levitz is coming in and saying, okay, let's hold on for a second. Um, not throwing out the idea that uh, suicide isn't increased or there's, a, there's an impact made by social media and phones and stuff like that. But also saying it's definitely not just as simple as you're making it either, uh, Taylor Lorenz, that it's just, you know, the world is really bad right now. And so suicide is up. There's something more going on here is kind of what what he's saying. And um, he kind of, I think, helpfully, and here's the thing. He writes from a perspective that, like, I don't think I agree with him on a lot of things. Even on some of the conclusions he comes to, I'm still like, yeah, I don't know if I 100% agree with that. But what he's helpful in, in doing and why his article is helpful is because he's kind of saying, let's not just take the issue of teen suicide and use it to promote our own agendas and yeah. political issues and things like that, which is what he identifies people are doing. And I think rightly yeah. so. Yes. Um, <clears throat> rightly so. People are take, you know, looking at, okay, teen suicide is up. Let's see if I can find a way to make this useful for the promoting of my kind of political ideology or, or whatever. And he's like, let's not do that. Like, these are people. What we're talking about here, we're talking mm-hmm. about when we talk about number of, of suicides that are up among among adolescents and teenagers. He's like, we're talking about actual people, right? Mm-hmm. We're not just talking about um, useful things or numbers. We're we're talking about actual people here. And so, like, let's stop using these things for our for our political gain or societal gain in our in um, in this debate in our society, but. Rather, let's legitimately try and get to the bottom of what the issues are here. There are questions we need to ask and questions that need answered. Um, we're not going to find those answers just by using these things to promote an agenda. Right. And so in that way, the article is really, really, really helpful. And in this particular case, it's targeted targeted a little bit more at, at um, the Washington Post article by Taylor Lorenz to say, you can't just say, can we go ahead and read that quote that he kind of puts in here? Oh, sure. I'll, I'll read it real quick. So this is a, a quote that he takes from Taylor Lorenz's um, article. Um, and he, he says this, quote, people, th- this is a quote from Taylor Lorenz. Quote, people are like, why are kids so depressed? It must be their phones. But never mention the fact that we're living in a late stage capitalist hellscape during an ongoing deadly pandemic with record wealth inequality, zero social safety net slash job security, as climate change cooks the world, end quote, Lorenz wrote on Twitter. And then she goes on to say, uh, quote, not to be a doomer, but you have to be delusional to look at life in our country right now and have any amount of hope or optimism. Uh, so this is what Taylor Lorenz says in her article. Uh, and even this quote right here is is worth a response, right? Right. There's a lot of things rolled up in this statement that needs to be unpacked. And so I'm thankful for this article to kind of say, all right, let's take a step back 
uh, and that's what he tries to do. Right, and so the the facts that he brings to the table. So it, we are not saying that uh, Taylor Lorenza is l- looking at no problem. Mm-hmm. We agree there is a problem, and and here is the problem. He says, quote, Over the past 15 years, the mental health of young people in the United States has rapidly deteriorated. Between 2007 and 2018, the suicide rate among Americans ages 10 to 24 increased by nearly 60%. Suicide rate increased by nearly 60%. After declining over the ensuing two years, youth suicides rose again in 2021. Um, and, and so we're talking a lot about Gen Z, uh, mm-hmm. which for anybody, I, I sympathize with anyone who struggles with sort of generational talk. There's often yeah. disagreements about when they start, when they end. For our purposes here, Gen Z is uh, those born between 1995 to 2015 or those who are currently aged 8 to 28 here in 2023, mm-hmm. um, age 8 to 28. <clears throat> He says, quote, for every American who takes their own life, many more suffer from non-fatal forms of mental distress. The rate of major depressive episodes among U.S. adolescents increased by more than 52 percent between 2005 and 2017. Uh, The number of teen suicide attempts in the U.S. meanwhile increased dramatically between 2019 and 2021. Um, And so one thing about this that uh, is really helpful, it's very challenging to talk about depression, depression. just abstracted from any actions mm-hmm. uh, because we are a, a strange people, especially historically speaking, because we, we basically, if we feel sad at all, we go, ah, something must be wrong with me. I feel sad. When throughout history, people took sadness as an expected part of life. Right. And uh, I'm reading a, a, a biography of Thomas Jefferson right now. This is a guy whose dad died when he was 14, who lost a sister when he was 17, who had, uh, I mean, you read about people in this time, uh, plenty of people, uh, say a woman might have 19 children born in her life, half of them die. Right, right. I mean, like, the things that people dealt with in these times, if you had said to them, isn't it strange that you feel sad? I really think they would have looked at you like you had two heads, because it's just like, okay, no, like, sadness was just a part of life. And so whatever you want to say about uh, we find sadness to be strange, and uh, <clears throat> we think something might be wrong with us if we feel sad for for certain lengths of time. Okay, so that's that's a weird thing about us. But what I like about this is it's a whole other thing when you are measuring suicide attempts because that is more than I mean, one of the harder things about quote depression is people mean different things by that. Right. Some people will say if they had a, a tough hour out of every day, well, I, I felt depressed for that hour. And and some people won't say that. I Frankly, I don't think it's helpful to use the word depression lightly. And you need to be careful about even what you tell yourself because you're, you're setting your own mind uh, as mm-hmm. far as what uh, you think. You need to define terms more carefully than that. Um, sadness, a, a, a period of sadness that is unexplainable, lasts you know, a certain amount, maybe a half hour, that... Uh, depression is uh, more serious than that. Um, but all this to say that to get to the point to, to attempt suicide is an action based upon your assessment of where you are. And so in young people, people who are generally healthy, people who, as we often say, have their life ahead of them, mm-hmm. um, we're seeing an increase in suicide. As a person who... Uh, worked with young people for a long time. Um, this period of adolescence is, is hard. It's always been hard. What we have done kind of pull 
adolescents out and put them all together and then have the experience. It hasn't necessarily helped too much. Um, everybody's always known it was a hard period. It's not easy to go from a child to an adult, which is what adolescence is. Um, we are amplifying it by putting them all together. But even though we're doing that, and as somebody who was an adolescent in the 90s, basically, there's a lot of hand-wringing about, like, I mean, this is when Nirvana happened and, you know, the whole story of Kurt Cobain and how angry and sad he was and then he killed himself. I mean, it was a, a really terrible period, but yeah. for there was not anything like this sort of uh, increase in general adolescent suicide attempts like we're seeing now. And so what you have is a believable event happening where, where you, you're not just hearing, well, teenagers say they're upset. We're seeing actions that indicate to us this is way beyond just a, oh, maybe they think di differently about depression than, than we did, uh, whether 20 years ago, 30, 40, whatever you want to say. Now, this is a phenomenon that is, that is a great concern, um, and, and these are the, this is the data on it. Uh, for instance, again, just to give you something to hang your hat on, the suicide rate among Americans aged 10 to 24 increased by nearly 60% from 2007 to 2018. Um, so you could think, <clears throat> I mean, one easy way to think about it is uh, this is right around uh, the Obama presidency, right? Think about the times when Barack Obama was president of the United States, a little further before and after. Um, it, it is not Barack Obama's fault, okay? Right. Something is happening in this period. Mm -hmm. and, and what is it? It mm -hmm. takes a while to gather data, but now that we've gathered it, this is a concern, and and what you heard in those further uh, quotes that we've already talked about are um, things were already bad, and then we had the pandemic, and spoiler alert, that made things even worse. Mm. Whatever the causes and whatever the solutions are, the pandemic was bad all around, mm -hmm. and, and so that's where we stand. There's a couple more. Actually, there's only one more real quote here. Do you want to read that one that starts with young men? Yeah, sure. Young men are more likely to kill themselves than young women are. But the gap has narrowed in recent years as the surge in psychological distress has disproportionately affected young women. Among teen girls, suicide attempts rose 51% between 2019 and 2021, compared with 4% for teen boys, end quote. So in other words, the, what they're saying is there seems to have been a, a um, disproportional effect, and they, that's the word they use, uh, among young women as compared to young boys. Um, women, young women in particular, young teenage women, have been more affected. And see, we're, or in other words, we're seeing an increase in suicide attempts from their demographic that yeah. far outstrips what we're seeing in young men, yeah. uh, which is interesting. And maybe cause you to sit down and kind of go, well, why would that be? Well, yeah. we could sit and ask that question, and I think it's, I think it's worth asking, and I certainly have opinions as to what the cause of that is. And, and he mentions in that article briefly, like it does seem like social media has different effects on young women than, than it does yeah. on young men. Um, I think we can understand why that is. Yeah. Um, it points us a little bit to the um, uh, God-designed differences between men and women and boys and girls and that uh, girls are much more likely to be uh, dealing with issues of self-esteem and beauty standards and these kinds of things. And, uh, if there was ever a thing that was sort of a catalyst for all of that uh, or a, a, an irritant for that kind of issue, it's social media mm -hmm. where you're constantly being bombarded with 
images of, of what, you know, of, of different, I don't know, expectations of body types and beauty and these kinds of standards. Not only that, but also included with that instant ability to find affirmation, mm-hmm. uh, these kinds of things, but also not just affirmation, but things that can really cut and tear as well. Yeah. Uh, which is, is kind of what happens. And so, but the point is like, there is this, this great issue. There's this problem and you've kind of laid it out already. And the problem is the increase in suicide among teens. And, uh, you know, I think it's worthwhile talking about some of the things they propose. So you've kind of got both sides that they are two sides being presented here. Um, between Taylor Lorenz and then like other people um, that she's writing against who say, okay, the issue is phones, social media, all these kinds of things. That's what's causing the increase in, in depression and suicide. Taylor Lorenz says, no, it's not those things. It's our screwed up society. It's inequity. It's, um, you know, not having a social welfare, you know, safety net, these kinds of things. Um, And then, and, but it's worth asking, and so I'll pose the question to you. Maybe we can talk about it a little bit. Why do you think um, there has been an increase in teen suicide, teen depression leading to suicide? What, what do you think? If you were – so this is just one average Joe named Denton asking another average Joe, Jackson. What do you think? If you were, were asked why is there this increase? Um, so to first kind of – get a little more clarity about where we are uh, I want to um, it can get confusing as far as like okay you got numbers but then it's like okay there's a different situation for young men than young women um, one of the things that's really <clears throat> well it's just a fact of this situation that you got to come to terms with um, one men in general are more comfortable with violence mm-hmm. than women what that means in terms of suicide is that often men succeed more right um, men will be more often to use, uh, often likely to use a weapon, such as a gun in a suicide where women are generally more likely to use pills or something like this. And then you can imagine that pills often that can be reversed. A young woman can be found and then the pills can get out of her stomach, which is much different than a gun or other situation like that. Um, <clears throat> another thing that... It, this is under the huge umbrella of we are not helping ourselves by saying men and women are the same because they're not. Right. And that is, that is especially true uh, in these teenage years when uh, large amounts of hormones are present. And what that means for young boys is generally a lot of anger and then a lot of sex drive is what it means a lot for young boys. And for young women, it means a lot of uh, emotionality and relationship drama. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then uh, we can start by uh, like... As far as this social media issue, I think social media is part of the problem. I think it's being overblown as like the problem. But social media for boys really hasn't changed that much of their relationships. Boys still, more often than girls especially, uh, tend to do things together. Or even they do things like online gaming, which is pretty comparable to, not as good, but pretty comparable to being in the same room and what they call couch co-op sitting on the same couch playing a game together uh social media has not altered boys behaviors that much but meanwhile what it means for young girls is uh when boys want to have conflict they'll tend to have it in person and then it will happen and then it'll be over it'll usually happen with fists or some other thing and then it'll be over but what girls do is what they call 
reputation savaging so that if a girl wants to hurt another girl, she will damage her relationships. And social media, for all this talk about how connection is so good, social media gives girls a means by which to attack each other at any moment, all day, every day. And not only gives it a means, but it gives all these different opportunities for it based upon what you post what you're looking at and, and what is shared. And so that's been especially bad for girls. And this is pretty well documented. Now this is, I read uh, up a fair amount about the data on how big of a problem is social media and in contributing to this. And look, the, the data is not conclusive. uh, But at the same time, I look at this and I go, I know I've talked to plenty of people. I know how young people are using social media and it's a replacement uh, social media and phones in general are often a replacement for real life relationships. And that's not healthy. It's not good. It doesn't lead to strong relationships. It doesn't lead you to be able to assess who actually cares about you versus who just gives you the likes. It replaces it. it, it in a lot of ways, it enables the worst parts of high school to go on forever mm-hmm. is what social media does yeah. <clears throat> in terms of popularity, in terms of likes, in terms of image control and all those things that you were talking about. So, yeah, I think that if you don't, if you're a parent and you don't have, at the very least, you're not coaching your kids through what social media is, what it's doing to their friends, and, and if you give them unfettered access to it, it's not good for them. I mean, and there's so much we can say and have already said about this in the past that people who work at these social media companies who know how the psychological manipulation works do not allow their kids to be on it. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. The people who know what's in the sauce don't let their kids eat the sauce. So like you got to start thinking from there, what are we doing? Yeah. But it's about more than just that. I mean, that's just the start of where our problems are in my opinion. And so let's start there. I mean, are there other things that you think of about social media and what we're doing? I think you're hitting the nail uh, pretty much on the head. One of the things I'll say real quick: you, you <laughs> talked about people who under who work in you know these for these social media companies and things like that. They don't let their kids do it. That's a good point. And uh, from what I understand, um, China doesn't even allow uh, underage users on TikTok. Mm-hmm. They don't even allow them to to have it because right. they know the negative effects that yeah. it has. T- TikTok is just one particular yeah. social media here, but. You know, that same principle could be applied across the board. Yep. Um, but yeah, I think what, and a little bit of what you're describing is if I were to identify like a singular problem, um, when I hear the things that, that they're saying, and he says in the article, uh, he being Eric Levitz, he kind of says like over and over again, a sort of a common r- refrain that he uses of like, this isn't like, can't be pinned down as the exact problem. Um, and really, Probably nothing can as we look at social media or these other economic problems. Can they be contributors? Sure. Maybe would suicide rates in, in adolescence be lower if these things weren't the case? Yeah, maybe. You know, and, and indeed likely that's probably the case. But um, if I were to pin down one exact problem of which I think social media is a severe um, agitator of, um, I think it, it makes it exponentially worse. I would say it's this disconnectedness that you're talking about, mm-hmm. that we have become a people isolated from one another. And, and the more we do that, the more we become isolated from one another, yeah. the more uh, depression is on the rise. And when I say isolated from one another, I mean actually physically isolated from one another, not this artificial connection right. Right. that Facebook uh, posits, that they, that they yeah. say that they have. 
It's artificial. It's not real. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying there's no value to be found at all in Facebook. I think the cons far outweigh the pros, if you ask me. And full disclosure, I'm on Facebook, right? I'm, I'm on there. Um, but, um, yeah, I think it's the disconnectedness. And, and he talks about this a little bit in the article, but just briefly, just briefly, I think. Um, but he does talk about how people aren't doing as much of the same kind of things that they used to be doing. Um, he says, first of all, because there's a lot of comparison back to like the, the 40s and 50s. Mm-hmm. Um, and how you know depression rates, uh, suicide rates among teenagers were so low then, and it's true. And I think it's worthwhile saying, well, what was different then than it is now? One thing that he just briefly mentions that I think is worth mentioning more, uh, we'll talk about it a little bit more, is the role that organized religion plays mm-hmm. in in this. Uh, but in in addition to that, he even says things like um, being connected to your community, mm-hmm. uh, to your local community, feeling a, a oneness, a togetherness, a a, a uni- being unified in and kind of our identity and our desires and all these kinds of things. Like community events are something that, as weird as it sounds, are becoming a thing of the past. Yes. Um, where they used to be the way in which people um, yeah, live their lives, you know? Think about even the way the word community is now used, oh. that it, it is a substitute for, oh, I am a part of this community, meaning oh, there's these people online who also share these interests yeah. and we comment on the same things. Yeah. And it's just like, okay, that's not a community. Yeah. Has been the people who you could eat ice cream with. Yeah. A community is a people of, of whom you could see the pimples on their face. Like we are just reinventing the oh, word yeah. community. I hate it. <laughs> and, and emptying it of the life-giving elements. And replacing it with, isn't it nice? These people like the same things that I like. And it's like as if life is found in only knowing that there are other people who like the things that you like. Because it's not even about uh, sharing that with them regularly. Yes, maybe you would go to, if you're into comic books, you might go to Comic-Con once a year and see what is quote-unquote your community. Um, But historically, community has not been a choice and it's, this is what's so tough is we now have the illusion of choice. Like, well, I choose online to interact with these people who are my community. It's like, no, your community is the people that you could actually see. Mm-hmm. And the closest part of your community is the people that really know you, love you, and accept you. Mm-hmm. And how many of those people do you actually have? How many of those relationships could you put down and say, like, no, this is a name of a person that I, I could sit down with and take an extra two hours of their day and they would let me have it because they care about me. Mm-hmm. And... As a result, this is what's strange is if you don't have those people, you should be anxious because you've got to have those people. Yeah. If you get in a wreck today and you're badly hurt, somebody's going to have to come take care of you. Right. And if you don't have somebody who will, then you should be anxious. Right. We have worked ourselves into this position of being these lonely in- individuals, and it's not good. And now there's all these strange ideas about how, well, I want to feel better about my situation. It's like, but if your situation is a bad situation then you should feel anxious about it. Mm-hmm. And so there's that whole element that's going on right now. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, it's funny because you, you hear things like community guidelines uh, that that right. Facebook and these yeah. kinds of places yeah. have. And it, when you think about it, especially in light of what you just said, how your community used to be not something so much, it's not really a choice. I mean, to an extent, I guess you could move. But right. like, uh, you know, if you live in, in Harrisburg, Illinois, 
guess what? Whoever else lives in Harrisburg and Illinois is a part of your community. Yes. You could never say, well, you have violated the community guidelines and then right. you're out of the community. Right. <laughs> well, they're like, uh, no, I'm not. I'm still here. You right. know, right. And, and they still are. And, and that's a part of it. Part of what that means, too, is that you have to learn what it means to live in a community. Yeah. And what oftentimes are now called communities online. So whether it be a gaming community or yeah. a or a. Um, I don't know what's another one. Gaming is the only one that's coming to my mind right. Knitting community or uh, I don't know if we have a lot of knitters out there. Baseball community, skateboard community, whatever it might be. Um, You can so easily just, everyone there is talking about the same thing, talking in the same way. And if there's a violation of a community guideline, they're out. What authentic community looks like, and you know, I'll go ahead and throw it out there, a good pick place that we see this or at least see what it ought to be, or, or see where you know we ought to be applying these things is in the church. Yeah. Where community isn't everyone who agrees all the time. That's not community. It's called an echo chamber. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't do anyone any good. Um, a community uh, means, hey, even if this person and I have some differences, in fact, I might not like this person all yeah. that much most of the time. But you know what? They're still a part of my community, yeah. which means I'm going to do what I need to do to, to foster that. Yep. I'm going to be what I need to be to that person, even if I don't like them, even if I'm not a huge fan. You find that you are forced to, by necessity, be able to, um, to adapt to having that person as a part of your community. And what oftentimes I think we find is that we grow from that as well. Right. Yeah, and so it's like in a church community, you have – a certain set of guidelines you have the rules are there and it's not made up by anybody who's a part of it um incidentally one of the things that we're seeing is the end and the uh, and the whimper the the very poor end of the fact that one this term membership started with the church got applied a thousand other places to country clubs and to reddit and to you know that supposedly you're a member of these things but when it comes down to the point that we are now that membership means nothing mm-hmm. you are not a member is a part of a body yeah. that you don't cut off a pinky just because the pinky's kind of been annoying to you lately <laughs> right and meanwhile we have so watered down the meaning uh, yeah. of membership yeah. uh, which should still frankly only be used of the church because Whatever else you think you're a member of, if this is just a contract, then it, membership is considerably deeper. Um, right. And so we've done that. It's been a lie. It's showing itself to be a lie because it means nothing. It doesn't give positive goods, nor is it too difficult to just walk away from. And as a result, uh, we have all these uh, relationships that are not satisfactory, mm-hmm. that don't give us what we need. And as a result, we feel very empty, and, and that's and that's where we have landed with yeah. uh, with our community as we try to build them so often these days. Not to mention a whole host of other things that um, where we're kind of going here is to sort of deal with what they deal with, but then to go deeper. And so, yes, if you're a part of a church, you're part of something bigger than yourself, which is a deep longing of the human heart, and something that, which progressivism has nothing to offer. I mean, in if you are what progressive ideology says you are, which is basically an unhampered individual who needs to set your own course and not let anybody else tie you down. That's a lonely life that, mm-hmm. that does not involve any relationships that will sustain you. Mm-hmm. But ask yourself, 
if that's what you actually are. Just, man, if, if only I could live a life such that I leave behind anybody who is perceived to be a hindrance to me at any moment, and then maybe at the end of my life I've accomplished a lot of stuff, cut a lot of throats, but man, maybe I can make somebody's history book somewhere. It doesn't sound satisfactory no. to me. No. But it's almost like a default that some of us have ended up with, and that's the life we're sort of aiming for. That's a very unsatisfactory life, but it's one that is out there. It's an, it's an idea that is out there that we may have adopted uh, without thinking about it. Right. That's exactly right. So that's kind of, I think, deals with a little bit of the issue of like phones, social media, kind yep. of the role they play. I don't think you can get around the fact that they play a role. Right. right. Yeah. I just don't think yeah. you can. Um, and, and we've established that. But kind of the, the other aspect of the argument, and, what, and it's worth sort of addressing what Taylor Lorenz is proposing um, and even if we might disagree with some of the ways in which she thinks it's the system, as it were, quote unquote, is flawed, our society, our culture, um, the basic premise of her argument is because things are really bad in the culture, in society, um, life is hard, in other words, and therefore depression and suicide is up. That's her premise. Suicide, depression yep. is up among teenagers, uh, as it is among everyone, I think, um, but especially in teenagers, because... Uh, the prospect of life and society in the future seems so grim. Uh, that's kind of the premise. Well, one thing that I think the, the article, the, the writer of this article, Eric Levitz, does is he kind of dismantles that and says, here's the thing. Would suicide rates be a little bit lower if, you know, a lot of these problems, which he agrees, some of these are, are serious problems, if they were gone, if they were resolved? He says, maybe. Maybe they would be decreased some. But we can't say that they would be that that these are the driving force, that these are the driving factors, that if they were resolved, the problem would be resolved or nearly resolved altogether. And he backs it up with pretty strong evidence. He says, look, just look back in the past. Look at uh, times even of war, like at the, right. the post-World War II era right. where things were really rough. The economy was in really bad shape. There yep. was far less of a of a social safety net at then as there is now. It's kind of one of the things that she puts forward. Um, people who were, who were graduating high school then had far fewer prospects and far fewer of them were becoming successful to the rate that people are today as far as like how much money they make, how, how, um, you know, how lucrative of a life they were able to live, all these kinds of things. And yet the rates of depression and suicide were much lower then. Right. The kind of the point he's making is, look, that that your premise isn't being backed up by the facts. The facts are actually telling us that uh, there have been plenty of times throughout history, throughout American history and our culture, that times have been much tougher. Employment yeah. rates were much higher than yeah. they are now, and yet rates of suicide were far lower then. Right. And so it can't simply be reduced to because society has issues, suicide rates are up because things seem grim or whatever. And by the way, she definitely paints it as though things seem grim. I mean, I already read her, her quote, but she says um, you have to be delusional to look at life in our country right now and have any amount of hope or optimism. That's a pretty pessimistic view <laughs> it of, of society as it stands today. And like, um, and, but I think correctly so, the article, the writer of this article like kind of breaks that down and says, that can't be right. That can't be all that there is to this. Yeah, and it's, even as a Christian, it puts you in a weird place because we are the ones who say, yeah, the, everything in the world is broken. 
Yeah. Everything tainted by sin inside of us and outside of us. Um, but yet we're not without hope. And it's, it's strange sometimes to hear someone say, Hey, everything is broken. Everything, everything, everything. And you kind of go, Oh, I think I agree. Uh, and then kind of hear it to hear it followed with, yeah, and it's all over, man. It's like, oh, well, that's not where I was going yeah. at all. Yeah. Um, and, and that's it's a part of what I have read. A lot of Christians looking at this kind of going, I mean, is cancel culture uh, sort of this dark under underlying realization that like there is evil in the world. We're not addressing it. Evil needs to be punished. Mm-hmm. And and it's very possible that a part of, uh, in our Christian memory, all we have right now is the dark side. We only, like, we don't want to admit the word sin, but we do know there is evil somewhere yeah. out there. We want it punished. And it's like, oh gosh, but it's, it's in us too. And we need to, if we admit that it is in us as well as in the world, then we might begin to realize we need a really big solution because we have a really big problem. But all you're hearing is sort of, there's a really big problem and then sort of this discouragement when people don't hundred percent agree with you that the problem's so big that we all should just give up, throw up our hands and say, man, call it. It's, it's over. Yeah, it is over. Um, and so you have that. I mean, it, this, this, I mean, determined despair mm-hmm. and angry, uh, anger being added to the despair when somebody else says, well, maybe it's not as bad as you think it is, or maybe the causes aren't what you think. And it's like, well, apparently you weren't listening. Maybe, maybe you don't realize uh, the income inequality and and these, these sort of things, but that does without a doubt refuse to come to grips with the, the fact that if you ask people what it was really like in, say, the late 50s, or this, this made me, I was thinking about the 60s so much, just because, I mean, I was born in 1980, and so my mom, having been born in 1960, I just always often thought about how different, you know, I grew up when Ronald Reagan was president, and, I was, and so there was a lot of talk about the AIDS epidemic, and there was a lot of talk about this is your brain, this is your brain on drugs. Um, and so there, there was warnings from when I was a kid that I can just still remember going like, why have people not paid attention to that before? What's gone on in the past? But then if you think about what you know about the 60s, what is different uh, about the era that we live now? I mean, there apparently was a lot more hope in, mm-hmm. in the 60s and not just mm-hmm. Christian hope. There was a Jesus movement. There, was, there were things happening in the church. Um, but there, there, one of the big differences that I can say is um, we've moved towards materialism in terms of a, a worldview that, that w- this sort of assumption that this physical world is all that there is. And so if things are going bad in this physical world, then that's it. That's all right. that matters. And so if it's bad here, man, then it's real bad because there's no other world. And that was not even true of say the hippies or any of this entire big swath of what was going on in the sixties, that there was this entire free love kind of let go of material things sort of Mm -hmm. weird Eastern involved kind of mindset that we have very little of now. And I think that's a part of where the pessimism comes in is that if, if it all just boils down to concrete things that we can measure and then we start measuring and go like, this is bad. Well then there's nothing else to measure. There's just things getting worse. And and so I, I think that there's a good thought exercise in looking back and going, we are in a different spot for certain, uh, than the 
50s and 60s, um, there was just so much more optimism. And you can ask why. Um, that's a hard question to get at because even a lot of us can't answer exactly why we necessarily have an optimism to get out of bed in the morning. Uh, you know, it's not like, if, for instance, I say it like this, it's not like the average American in 1965 who pretty much was just a whole lot more optimistic woke up in the morning and went i'll tell you what i'm optimistic right. you know if they woke up and they went i'm probably by a boat i'm gonna go do some things i'm gonna try this i'm gonna try that and then meanwhile the pessimism is very noticeable in the quote that that she shares here but in in the world at large the pessimism is one of the things that uh is everywhere yeah and that being there is a big part of the problem yeah. that pessimism, a general pessimism will basically say to you and everybody around you, why are you trying? Mm -hmm. And, and that's exhausting. Yeah. And exhausting is a term that I think is really operative here in a lot of what you see among Gen Z mm -hmm. It's just like, why even try? And it brings to mind a lot of things, even what we've read in mere Christianity about, C.S. Lewis says, we try to fill ourselves with a lot of other things besides God, and then we find ourselves empty and sputtering. Right. You're not made to run off of that, but you're going to keep trying other stuff. Right. Yeah, it's kind of, you know, I like what you're saying, and, and building off of that, if you were, say you were to, to be dealing with depression um, back in uh, a more, as you're saying, a more optimistic time, even though there were still people in that time that were not just right. Like, you know, everyone didn't wake up then going, you know, whistling. The birds were singing, right? Right. It wasn't a cartoon, right? Right. You could um, think about my papa who went to work as a bricklayer and just put a, put bricks on top of each other for his entire career. Yeah. Like he wasn't, and and, and I, I I've talked about him a little bit on this podcast. He wasn't a whistler. Yeah. He was an ornery <laughs> kind of crabby guy, but he started doing that. Yeah. I mean, he was born in. 1930, so he probably started right around 1950, and he laid bricks all the way through the 60s and 70s. Yeah, not a whistler. He I didn't like do that. it with a whistle. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, but but if in that it, in that more optimistic environment, uh, you're dealing with depression, you, you go to someone, you talk, hey, I'm really feeling down, I'm having all these thoughts of depression, these kinds of things. Um, what are, are you more likely to get? Well, you're at that time, you are more likely than today to get, hey, it's going to be okay, though. Hey, you right. got, look at the good things going for you. Look at this, look at that, you know, yeah. and uh, we put a man on the moon, you know. I, I don't know if they would <laughs> yeah. have said that or not, but there does seem, seem to be in that time a, more of a sense of optimism. And when that's the answer you're getting, I'm not saying, in fact, I think there is a better answer. We're going to get to that in a second. But um, that answer is far better than the answer that Taylor Lorenz gives of, yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. There is no reason for any hope right now. Yeah, you've got a good point when you say that there's nothing good to hope for. I don't, you know, it's like, well, man, no wonder if that's the the message. And I know that not everyone is necessarily reading Taylor Lorenz, but there does seem to be, and this is studyable, a a negative, what's the word, a, a sort of negative bias in social media and things mm -hmm. like that. That you look at what news stories are are or even things posted on Facebook, what are most likely to be shared around and go viral? It's all negative. Yeah, it, it it's, it's clear. If you want to know what will spread on uh, social media, uh, outrage, uh, mm -hmm. things that will make people angry, it's yep. just that's what spreads. It's outrage, what's, it's bad shared. news, yes. disaster, all yep. those kinds of things. That's what is spread around. And so then what, what is kind of happening today, and again, we're kind of back to social media as a contributor, but it goes hand in hand with this. Like when you begin to feel even just the, the start of, of depression, um, 
what you are going to get most likely is a lot more negative influence on that than positive. Yeah. A lot more increase in the despair, not any sort of optimism. And I, you know, when I look at that, I consider it, I think, well, yeah, then obviously suicide would be on the rise because mm -hmm. there's a lot more things contributing to kind of the downward spiral rather than, than attempts to lift a person out of that. Yeah. Now, I don't think that the ultimate answer to depression and, and to suicide is to just start telling people, Hey, it's okay. Yeah, it's not buck hey, up. be happy. Right. You know, um, I, I don't think that that's, I definitely think that's better than telling someone they have a reason to despair, you know, whenever they're, those things. <laughs> it's even worse than you think it is. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. You want to, you think it's bad. Look at this article. Um, but, and here's where we, we ultimately have to get in. I don't know how much time we have left or whatever, but, um, there is a better answer to that. There is an answer that actually has hope that actually has joy and it has it in spite of and and despite what there is to offer in this world whenever someone someone looks around at what's going on in the world or whenever someone's dealing with despair and, and depression and even maybe considering suicide what kind of answer do we have that we can give them we need to be able to have something to give them something to turn to and if you're like lorenz then you don't have anything well yeah the, the world kind of sucks because in this materialist kind of society all we have is the physical world around us. And if it's not living up to your expectations or doing what it ought to be doing, because it is indeed broken, messed up yeah. world that we live in. There's a lot of a lot of bad things in the world, right? Um, but if that's all you have to point someone to, then you have nothing to point them to. On the on the other hand, if all you have to point them to is, well, hey, um, here's here's a hug, a handshake, I love you, I care about you, that's good. Yeah, those I, are good things, right? right? But with when it comes to what is the best thing to give someone, it is something that transcends yeah. this world, transcends this this time here on earth. And that's where the gospel comes into play. That's where to be able to tell someone, look, I know things are really hard right now. I hear you. I feel it. Mm -hmm. I 100% I affirm that life is very difficult. But look, there is something that while the world around you is just utterly changing, it is, it is filled with reasons for despair. There is, is one, his name is Jesus Christ, who came into the world to redeem all of that, to cure all of it, to undo all of the effects of the fall. Yeah. And for those who, who come to faith in him, for those who recognize that and turn to him and trust in him, even right now for them, the curse can begin to be undone. Yeah. That there can begin to be found, even in this world, joy, yep. life, uh, and that it is lasting. Yep. That when this world that we now live in has passed away and is gone, the joy will remain because it is rooted in an eternal God and an eternal Savior, Jesus Christ. Right. And life with him is eternal. So that that you know what we find in Christ Jesus begins now, but lasts for an eternity. Right. And it can never be taken away. Right. And it's true regardless of circumstances in this world. Right. And and all of these things that you're talking about, these these things that you begin to experience in an inner way that affect you individually are added to them the fact that you become a part of that mm -hmm. very church community that, that is yeah. all over the place yeah. and that you gain mothers and grandmothers and you gain crazy uncles, but then you, you gain cousins and, and you gain every kind of relationship, mm. little mm. brothers, little sisters. And these things that, that you look at and you go, I didn't know I needed all of this. And it is a wonderful thing when your life is this adventure of going, 
huh, I would not have chosen this, this situation here necessarily for myself, but look at what I'm learning because of it. Because that's what a church is, is it is, it is like a family that you didn't choose any more than you chose your regular family, but it is, it is a group of people that you walk with and who teach you all kinds of things. Um, and, and as you serve and as you know you're a part, uh, it is good for you to yeah. be a part of something bigger than yourself in, in sort of a large grand scheme, but also in a small day-to-day scheme. There are things that you need that this, this is all a part of one another. That's exactly right. And so when, when we say this, what, what certainly uh, what I'm not saying or suggesting, and neither are you, is that, um, is that when it comes down to it, if you have Jesus, you will never be depressed. Right. You will never ha- experience <clears throat> despair. No, that is absolutely not the case. Guess what? Christians still deal with depression. In fact, yeah, the world is still broken. It is still discouraging. Things happen. Evils happen in the church. It grieves Mm -hmm. us. It should grieve us. We have a mandate to bring justice, uh, both in the church and to whatever degree we can outside. Uh, That's what what we're working towards. But we we do it as a people who go. We do this because God's already on this. I'm not responsible for all of it. I'm only responsible for my part. And I know other people that I have confidence in who are doing their part. And so we'll do what we can do right. and know that, that Jesus is the, the, the part of the work that we could never have done. Jesus has already done. Mm-hmm. So I will now do what I can and leave it out there on the field and then go to sleep at night going, God, I, I wish I could do everything that, the way you wanted me to. But I know I didn't do it all today, but there's grace for me. And so we'll start again tomorrow. Yep, that's exactly right. And so the difference then becomes when, when the world... Uh, deals with despair and, and depression and things get really, really, really dark. And you look around, all that you're going to have to be able to cling to is what you can see in this world, what you can find in this world. Yeah. And guess what? There's not much in this world that is worth clinging to in that way that is going to bring any kind of lasting relief to that despair. And that, yeah. that, that, you know, and will ultimately, and that's why ultimately um, can result in suicide for a person. Right. As Christians, as believers, we know that whenever you come to the place of despair whenever it looks like all around you is, is just worthless. And, and like your life is caving in around you. Um, when, when the waves are crashing all around you, right. Um, we can say at the very least, and this is a great deal to say at the very least you have Christ Yeah, and you can cling to Christ. He is unchanging, unchangeable. He is for you. He has given promises to you in his word that are true and that are trustworthy. And so cling to him. And that might not seem like much, but indeed that is all we need. And, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of the verse, um, or excuse me, of the song, All I Have is Christ. Are you familiar with that song? Mm-hmm. You guys sing that one at First Southern? Mm-hmm. I figured you did. It's a great song. Um, you know, the chorus of the song says, Hallelujah, all I have is Christ. Hallelujah, Jesus is my life. I mean, there's there's much more that we could say about that song and about that idea, but the thing is, as Christians, we find our hope, we find our joy, we find our, our contentment in nothing outside of Christ. If you're finding it, if you're placing it in anything outside of Christ, you are going to be let down. Yeah. You are going to be led to despair, and you're going to have no remedy for that despair when you find yourself there. Um, I was uh, at church just yesterday. We were uh, singing and worshiping, and, and um, Robert, our worship leader, gave a little bit of a... Uh, of a, he just spoke a little bit before one of the songs that we sang and how the song has been helpful for him. The song is, is, um, he will hold me fast. 
And the theme of the song is very similar to that, All I Have is Christ, and that, man, we, we live in a world where it just feels like everything is caving away all around us. Yeah. Um, but the good news of the gospel is that he, he being Christ, he will hold us fast. Yeah. For my Savior loves me so, he will hold me fast. Right. And there's, there's a great deal of, of hope to be found in that. And so the problem of teen suicide, we can't always pin it down to one exact thing. Right. It and is so- phones. It is zero social safety net. It is unemployment. It is, uh, you know, whatever. We can't always pin it down. But in a sense, we also can say there is one necessary remedy to this issue, and that is Christ. What were you going to say? Right. And so we're really almost to the turn because um, I really do think where we've ended up here is there are uh, quite a few issues that over the years we have continued to pile on things that are more negative than we expected them to be. And we have let go of life-giving things to the point that uh, it's like it's like if if uh, young America is just a young person who's going into a, the doctor's office, we are we are looking in shock as we kind of go, what have we done here? And so there's about two more issues that we can point to. Uh, and then really have the turn because we haven't even mentioned these yet, but we can we can add together. We've talked about phones, we've talked about social media, um, we've talked about community, and these are all meaningful. This this stuff matters, and these are issues that that basically, if you think of yourself in the doctor's office, you want to make a better plan about these things than you've made. Um, we've talked about worldview a little bit because look, if you if you're just if everything comes down to material substances, well, one that's not satisfying, but two. Yeah, I mean, part of what you're seeing in the world is that rich people have the means by which to attain more riches, and that that does happen. No, we're not living in the days of, you know, the Rockefellers who are just saying, hey, all the gold mines are mine. If you want a job, you can go down there and maybe you will die and maybe you'll get a little gold along the way, but I own it all. We're not there. Um, But yeah, I mean, they're like rich people are getting richer. So if, if that's your that's your game, that's just a bad game to be in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we're, we're seeing these things. Um, but I will say, uh, to, to summarize some of the things that, that you read, if you're looking into this, um, bad ideas are spreading. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, 2018, a book came out called The Coddling of the American Mind, and these are bad ideas that continue to spread. We are not yet dealing with these bad ideas. And I would, I would put all these under... Uh, under the heading, like the dangers of overprotection, we've been overprotecting children for a long time. And that results in like, for instance, three ideas that they point out that are really bad. One is you're fragile. You can't child, a young person, you can't deal with things that hurt. You can't deal with things that you don't like. You need to be protected from those things. Well, look, that, that has just not been true in human history. Humans have historically dealt with horrible things. I've already referenced this some. You are not fragile. You, are, in fact, are an incredible being who is able to overcome shocking things. And, and we know this about, like, we love to lift up uh, characters and, and historical people even who have overcome adversity, but we have no means by which to overcome adversity in our own life. We, 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 if we do pray, we often pray things like, Lord, let me never run into adversity. And that's, uh, that's just a bad prayer to pray because this world is 
very broken. You'll, you'll have bad things happen to you in your life. And what are you going to do when they do happen to you? Um, so that's one of the bad ideas getting around. You're fragile too. If you feel it, it must be true. This is out there. This is a lot of people believe this. If you feel it, that's reality and, and it must right. be true. And that's just not the case. Your emotions tell you your immediate response to a situation. A lot of things are not going to feel good at first. Right. Yeah, actually that, that, Sounds very similar to some of the stuff that we read when we worked our way through the book um, Strange New World by Carl Truman. Mm -hmm. uh, and that is kind of the way sort of things developed into what we now see happening with the transgender movement yeah. uh, is that feelings yep. are given more weight even than like reality. Yes. And they kind of become the author yeah. or or, dip, or um, source of truth in many cases yep. for people. And that's a problem when it comes to this kind of stuff and that yeah. people feel that there is no hope, feel that all is lost. And then that sort of is given weight to the point of it becoming reality you right. know? when it's not, right. it's not reality, you know? Um, and this is, I mean, uh, the calling of the American mind, if, if this is not something that, uh, if people haven't heard of this, this book is really helpful and important because, um, the one story about it that I'll tell, one of the writers is written by Jonathan Haidt and Greg Lukianoff. And Greg Lukianoff, who struggled with depression, genuine depression, to the point of suicidality in his life, um, he has gone through something called cognitive behavioral therapy, which is a way of basically looking at kind of how you think and then saying, you got to get rid of some of these ways that you think. So, for instance, if um, somebody doesn't like you, say, treats you badly, uh, one of the natural tendencies in, in the minds uh, of, of, of broken people is to go, well, then I must not matter. Mm -hmm. I, I was treated badly, and that's because I don't deserve any good treatment. I'm, I, I'm, I'm not a valuable person. And he, he realized some of those bad habits in his, in his own life, and he was trained out of them. And then one of the things that he recognized is, a lot of what's happening on college campuses is training people in the opposite way. Right. Training people to go, well, if someone said something that you didn't like, well, those words are violence, and those could have harmed you, and so you have to be protected from hurtful words. And he said that's the exact opposite of what people need to be told, especially on a college campus. You need to be told that you're going to encounter things that are, that are foolish, things that are bad and you need to be able to say well that's not reasonable and i'm not going to go along with that and not just go i need to be protected from this person or these these uh bad words that they're saying and um so this this situation here when he saw that he said this idea that if you feel it, it must be true that is the exact road to darkness that is the, the road to destruction there um and then the last thing that they really emphasize um in kind of the short version of the coddling is that life is uh a battle between good and evil, us versus them. Everything should be boiled down to uh, there's good people and bad people, and I'm one of the good people, and we got to identify the bad people, and then I'll know yeah. who the enemy is because it's all black, white, and that this is how you end up with political polarization and all these things. And so there's a lot that you could say about the coddling of the American mind, um, but bad ideas are still spreading. We, we are not sufficiently careful about the ideas that we're taking in, and especially young people. Young people are, um, especially through, uh, you, you know, you could see if you've read parenting books in the last 20, 30, 40 years that the trend has been 
uh, overprotection, mm-hmm. helicopter parenting, and these sorts of things. And this part of what we're seeing is this. And so Jonathan Haidt talks a lot about free play, a lot about how letting kids sort out their own disagreements. Um, and, mm-hmm. and so there's a lot there. Um, but then I, I, I want one more concrete, and then this has pretty much been talked about. The last one I want to mention as far as problems and issues that are happening. Um, th- there's talk in this article about opioids. Uh, and the fact that there's a lot of people who are using prescription drugs to try to deal with their sadness and depression, and it's not helping mm-hmm. in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, you and I have discussed in the past that there is a place if you have a chemical imbalance. But even when you believe there's a place for this in your life, it is a part of an overall holistic treatment plan, not as a silver bullet that's going to fix everything for you. Mm-hmm. Nearly one million Americans have died of drug overdose since 1999. Nearly 1 million Americans have died of drug overdose since 1999. And, and um, opioids are used uh, in a lot of corners right now to, to make to, people trying to make themselves feel better. Mm-hmm. And the problem is deeper than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, because lastly, I, I really think that the issue that I don't know how long it's going to take us to get to is that we have a meaning uh, crisis and a significance crisis that we're dealing with. What is the, why does life have meaning? Why does it matter if I get out of bed? Yeah. And so meaning is an inner, why, why do I matter? How can I justify to myself that I matter? Yeah. And a significance crisis is why would I matter to anybody else? Mm-hmm. And I've talked to a lot of young people that this is a real thing. And, and, and in particular, I, I think it's very reasonable that this is a challenge in our time, not only because meaning, I think, is a challenge for all of human history. Do I matter to God? Do I matter in life at all? But it's very hard to feel significant when you often what we do is um, we base our significance on our abilities and our talents. And if you're, if you're basing your significance, you know, I know you're, you're uh, good at disc golf. Are you the best disc golfer you've ever seen? Uh, um, if there's some, you know, whenever I'm, I'm sitting at home thinking about playing disc golf, yes. But then when I get on the disc golf course and I start throwing, no. No, I'm the worst I've ever seen. And ha- have you th- seen anyone make shots? Would you be able to see someone make disc golf shots that may- would make you feel like an absolute novice? Where would you see such things? Oh, uh, like on YouTube. Uh, yes. I go on YouTube and I watch them and I'm like, easy. And I go try it. Like, oh, I, I'm trash. <laughs> and and for all of us who sort of, you know, there's always talk in my uh, hometown about, you know, uh, being a big fish in a small pond. Well, look, I mean, it's nice. It feels nice to be a big fish in a small pond. We're all little fish in a huge pond now in our world. And if you think you're good at anything, if you think you're, uh, you know, a good speaker, if you think you're good at the guitar, if you, whatever... Get on YouTube, and you will immediately kind of go, well, I guess I'm pretty average, Yeah. if that, you know? And significance is very challenging in that way. Yeah. And, and this is something that I, I really do feel that in the future we're going to look back and go, yeah, it's very discouraging to realize, hey, if you're, if you're pretty good among all your friends at disc golf or at basketball, well... Uh, you'll quickly, you can get online and find out like, oh, you're probably the 187,000th best disc in your, golfer in your town. on the internet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you know, right. I mean, it's just kind of like, oh, well, that's not what I was hoping for. Yeah. 
And so in some ways that is also theological because it's like, well, either you matter to God or you don't um, because you can't build your identity anymore on, well, I'm the best basketball player in all my friend groups. Like, well, that doesn't mean a whole lot anymore. Right. Yeah. You, you're right. You have to, you have to base it in something that does have meaning that does matter. Uh, And that's, I mean, all those things are going to let you down. And even if you were, even if you were the best basketball player uh, in your town, even if you were the best basketball player in the world, guess what? You won't be. There will come a right. day when you yep. won't be any longer. Yep. You know that it's it's all so fleeting, um, but where there is meaning is found in believe it or not the person who created us. Right. Uh, that's where we can find meaning, and um, it, it's I think worth at least going there. Um, the the psalmist David writes in one thirty nine. Um, the whole chapter is great, but we'll just read for our purposes. Psalm one thirty nine. Yeah. Psalm, okay. Oh yeah. Sorry. Uh, Psalm one thirty nine. David writes. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was, bes- when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depth of the, earth, of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me when I was yet None of them. I mean, this is such a beautiful statement that that David is making here about about not only. I mean, it's it's kind of twofold. It's the value that he has, and that value that he has is based in the fact that he was specially created by God, right. and this is not unique to him. Each and every one of us is fearfully and wonderfully made by God, but it also speaks to the glory of God, the greatness of God, and and what he has poured into his creation. There is an an intimacy here in the creation of an individual that God is is distinctly active and a part of, that you have meaning because you were created by God and in his image. And and man, there is a lot to be to be gleaned from that when it comes to finding value and, and purpose in life. And if you're looking for your purpose in life and you're not turning to the one who created you to say, hey, why have you created me? Uh, then you're going to be left. Yeah. You're going to be left with that. In a lot of ways, it's like the fig leaf has been taken away from us and we're naked before mm. God. And, and we kind of go, I wish I had something to show for myself. And it's like, yeah, guess what? You don't. And and it is it is a particular burden that we have that we, we are not able. You know, a lot of people, for whatever reason, God allowed a lot of people in the past to go, well, you know, you can for the rest of your life go. I was in 1984. I was the best football player in my hometown and I stayed in my hometown and I was a big deal and and look whatever the reasoning is why God is doing this a part of what we're dealing with here is the changes that God is allowing in our world and um, there are things that we're doing to ourselves and that's enough of a curse that we sometimes bring upon ourselves but um, the fact that we can be known by God is um is a part even of the challenge here because we're trying to come up with other other reasons to justify ourselves and and some of them are just not even possible anymore. Mm-hmm. You can't tell yourself, "Well, I'm valuable because I make a lot of money at, you know, at running this tire store or doing this thing or doing that thing." So we all we look around we kind of go, "Well, are you making as much money as Jeff Bezos? Are you making <laughs> as much money as this person?" And any of these rationalizations that used to hold us like, "Wow, none of this is doesn't work anymore." Yeah. And, and I think that's, a, in particular, one of the things that's going on, that we're, we're being pulled out of these lies yeah. that have worked for other people. Yeah. Um, and so all this stuff at once, I mean, in, in some ways I think about it, and I think about 
the era of Ronald Reagan that we've not mastered the drug issue and it's still here. We've not ma- mastered the the health issue and it's still here. We've had new things that we've brought on and these things are mastering us. Social media, uh, these ideas that we don't know how to get around, they're mastering us. And so all this is present, but we want to end and say, we should be able to ask ourselves, what things do increase hope and peace in your life? Can you go after those? Or, or is all this just shackled you down? Take a walk and mm-hmm. ask yourself those things. Yeah. Because a part of this is we have. We have, we have given ourselves to things that don't offer any peace, right. that in fact take from us any type of contentment that we have. And we've got to, to see, I mean, pray, wherever you are, pray, God help me to see what actually does give me peace and what takes it from me. Yeah. Because we all, we all do this. We give ourselves to things that take joy from us, that, that leave us with anxiety. That is what it is to be a sinner, is yeah. to build for ourselves these false uh, senses of security around whatever, money or fame, uh, power or pleasure. And then, they, then they're pulled away from us. And what's so hard about this is, is that it is good of God to take away these lies. Mm-hmm. I, I do think that, that God looks at us like, like little kids, sometimes angry little kids, and goes, I, I keep pulling it away, and you keep yanking other things that are not satisfying back to yourself. So it, it's, a, it's a grace that he does that, but what we've got to do is look beyond it to what could really satisfy us. Um, because there are good things that I have. I mean, look, uh, we've already talked about how uh, Jesus and the Bible and the church and small groups and singing together, all of that. The thing about the Christian life is I, I don't know from the outside if people are even able to see that there is multifaceted goodness to it. Um, and so we've, we've mentioned that. Um, but that puts into line, when, when your heart is right with God, it puts into line all the other elements of your life, like your relationships with your friends and your family, it, it tells you, even at every stage in your life. I mean, I, we've, we've mentioned this before. What a sad statement it is when I, I, the meme that says, the thing I'm most amazed about with Jesus is how he's, he kept 12 close friends into his 30s. Yeah. It's like, come on, this is not... I, I, friendships change, but they don't have to leave altogether. And I'm, I'm amazed at how people just have these defeatist sort of statements like that. Yeah, if you are that person and you're thinking that you need to pick up the phone today yes. and call some of those people who you have let that friendship, yep. friendship wither and die away and begin to bring life back into that. Uh, that shoot may be dried up some, but it's yep. it can be brought back to life, and I want to encourage you to do yep. that. Build it with people you work with. I mean, try to be a friend to people. It's not going to be always successful, but it can happen. People yep. long for friendships. I mean, one of the inspirational things about C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien and, and uh, the, the other authors they that were alive in their time is they all would go and sit together and read to each other from their works and joke and laugh mm-hmm. and talk. That that this can happen. People want it. People long for it. And this is another thing that we are just denying ourselves because we kind of have lost mm-hmm. the ability to do it in some ways. Um, but a third thing I want to say is a good life rhythm. Uh Work hard, play hard. Get get some exercise in somehow. Try some things. Mm-hmm. Again, we've mentioned this before. Find people that you can do this with, but get get a life rhythm to where you do have things that you are pushing yourself to do. And then when you rest, your rest will be sweeter. Yep. You won't be laying there going, man, I accomplished nothing. 
you will lay there going like, this is good to rest because I've pushed myself today. Right. I think as well, and this goes along with what you're saying with exercise and having a good life, life rhythm. Uh, but I think you also need to include things like hobbies. Yep. When we talk about what leisure looks like, and, and we do as, as human beings, we need leisure. We need ways in which to kind of get out of our obligations of, of our work and things like that. And we need to find things that we can engage with that, that we find to be um, joy-filled and, and wholesome. And, and that could be all kinds of things. It can be music. It can be video games. It can be board games. Uh, for me, you've already mentioned it. For me, it's disc golf. I love to get out and play disc golf. Mm-hmm. Um, I love hiking with my family. Like right. that's a thing that we can all do together and, and take part in that. But find something that you can that can yep. enjoy and make a part of your life. Just to honestly, what it is when really what I'm lobbying for here is is partaking of the common graces that God has given us in this world. Like He's given us a lot of common grace for our enjoyment, mm-hmm. for us to take part in. Um, do that. Take part in those things. I, I talked to lots of people today and had a conversation just with uh, with someone recently, and I was like, "So, what do you, what kind of things do you do for fun?" You know, as a young married couple, had been married for a couple of years, and they literally could not think of anything. They could think of nothing that they do for fun, and that was the end of the conversation. <laughs> I'm like, "Well, you guys need to get on and try some stuff," you know. And, and my wife asked me after that. She said, "If someone asks you, what do you do for fun? Do you think you could think of something?" I said, "Disc golf, hiking." Riding bikes. I mean, like, I, I can think of five things immediately. Board games. Um, even, and I know that it's it's kind of a, a sort of, and I would wager this couple also, they do this as well, but even watching TV with, yep. like, with my wife or with my boys, like, watching, we're watching Star Wars Rebels right now, you know, and, and so just things like that. But, like, you have to have things that you're doing that you enjoy. And I would argue, if you can, find things that involve using your body and your mind uh, to make a part of your hobbies, not just things that cause your brain to shut off, right. but engage your mind right. in your hobbies, in right. your in your leisure activities, and, and find joy in that. I mean, it could be it could be woodworking, it could be mowing grass, even you know, find mm-hmm. someone's grass to to mow. Uh, there's just a whole host of things, but you need to include those things in your life in order to partake in the common graces that God has given us. Yep. So it, this was um, this is a challenge that didn't come along in. A short time and it won't be uh, let out in a short time it won't end in a short time now I do think that what we're going towards is a crisis in terms of we're either going to ask the hard questions about what does make life worth living or we're going to continue to see people silently and quietly deciding that life's not worth living Uh, this is a conversation that needs to have if you anybody listening the people in your life who are in Gen Z in particular uh, they're at the end of the rope that you were a part of and it's not good they they are inheritors of bad ideas and of bad practices, and they're paying the price for it. And we're all a part of this. And so having this conversation is, is something that we've got to do to say we've all built this messed up house together. Let's let's turn it around and let's ask the hard questions about what we could be doing better than what we're doing. Uh, have the guts to experiment about it, try some different things, and stop expecting it to get better on its own because it's not going to. That's right. That's right. Well, I don't know that there's uh, there's much more we could say about this. That's a lie. I know there's a lot more that we could say about this, but uh, I think that's enough for today. Um, I think next time we will be together, we'll jump back in to C.S. Lewis, but uh, this is a worthwhile thing to take a break from and, and to discuss, and hopefully it's been helpful for you who are listening. And uh, I'll just say this. I know we have listeners that uh, that have ways to contact us. If, if you are dealing with depression, uh, anxiety, 
Uh, if you're considering suicide, reach out. If you don't have anyone to reach out to, uh, whether it be a church family, family members, uh, reach out to us. We would love to hear from you and, and engage with you and, um, and talk to you about why there is hope. And I can tell you it's found in something far greater than this than this life only. But uh, reach out and, and find help for that, um, either from us, your pastor, someone around you. Uh, but we would encourage you to do that. Yeah, you can reach out to me at jacksonvandyke at gmail.com. Or you can reach out to me at dentonice at evansvillechurch.com. And we would love to, to talk with you, get in touch with you. So. Absolutely. Well, Jackson, you have anything else you want to say? I don't. All right. Well, then this has been Empires of the Future. And we'll see you in the future.